Here at the Bounce of the Ball, we'd like to acknowledge the Waramai people, the traditional custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging, and I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening. Okay, welcome back to Bounce of the Ball. Uh, this week on the show it is episode 30. G'day Matt, how you going mate? Good yourself man. Good, bro. good. Uh, good. If you want to follow us on the socials, you can follow the podcast at TBOTB Podcast and you can follow Chappie at? Uh, Chappie's Titans. And you can also follow me at Rob underscore Aaron 23. All that on Twitter, of course. Uh, we've also got some stuff happening over on Instagram, so you can find us over there at TBOTB Podcast. Oh my God. Follow the podcast over there on Instagram as well. Um, okay, so it's episode 30, bro. Going to do the usual, go through the players who have worn number 30. Uh, we've got some good ones this week, so it's a lot better than last week's dismal, dismal pickings. Mate, um, last week was beautiful. What are you talking about? Pretty rough. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Okay, bro. So, I'm going to start us off with Seth Curry. Oh, Seth. If you go Seth, I guess I have to go Steph Curry. There you go. Ben Wallace, when he was playing for Washington? Uh, Mr. Rashid Wallace. Bit of a weapon there. Good old Julius oh, Randle. Good. good old Thaddeus Young. Thaddeus Young, buddy. Magic Young. Played against the Bulls the other day for the Raptors. We're hoping to get him back, but alas, was not to be. Okay, so... So, like I said, it's episode 30. Uh, if you have any questions for the show, uh, you can email us, thebounceoftheball at gmail.com. Uh, you can also DM us on Twitter as well with the handle I said before, at TVOTV Podcast. So, on with the show. Number 30, mate. I'll have some questions for you today. Uh, then I'll let you get back to your work. Just a little bit of a chat about the NBA. I'm going to ask, are the heat in meltdown, man? Um pretty well we've had a public argument four game losing streak um, including a loss to the Knicks and the Nets yesterday and today and we've also had some big moves um, yeah with some wins there and some losses because everything's a bit hit and miss in the east at the moment there's been massive massive movement with the Cavs dropping into the play-in and the Raptors working their way out so we'll have a bit of a chat about that also Tim Zhu he recovers from an early flash knockdown in the first round to come back and dominate the entire fight and impress his American audience. And also we're going to go around the grounds in round three, the rugby league, a.k.a. why, Tigers, do you continue to break my heart? Okay, so, like I said, on with the show. <laughs> NBA talk this week. We have some questions for my friend here so mate like i said the heat did you catch the argument the other day i did i think anyone with uh social media around the world would have seen it oh yeah uh, did you catch my video about it no i did not actually yeah out with some likes awesome you bastard anyway um <laughs> i had a bit of a breakdown about it and also had a bit of a breakdown about kyrie irving being allowed to play for the rest of the year, which is going to be a massive, massive um, break for the Nets, but it's also going to really shake up the bottom of that plane and five, six 
area on the table. So they're sitting in eighth at the moment, aren't they? They are, but if they oh. can fight together and win after win after win, and teams above mm-hmm. them can't consistently put games together, then it's on for young and old. Um, so yeah, like I said, there was this massive big public blow up between Spolstra, um, Udonis Haslam, and Jimmy Butler. <laughs> I think Spolstra asked Jimmy, he's like, what, do you want to fight me? And then, yeah, it was on for young and old. Um, that was in the middle of a two-game losing streak. They ended up losing that game. They couldn't fire up his troops. It didn't actually give him the motivation they needed. And then they end up losing a game to the Knicks yesterday and again to the Nets today where they gave up a lead that they built early. So... Same with the Knicks game. They built these early leads in the first and second quarter and then, yeah, they drop off. So that's shaken things up quite a lot because we've had um, the Raptors. They had a bit of an incident up there today. Um, Yeah, I believe it was up at the stadium there in Canada. There was a fire in one of the speakers. So everyone had to be evacuated from the building and the game was suspended for a little bit. And then... They finished the game off with an empty building and the Raptors dispatched the Pacers by about 40-plus points, I believe, around 40 points. So, yeah, that was an absolute smashing. Um, So that put them in the winner's column. And then we also had uh, the Nets, like I said, beat the Heat and the Bulls got a win against the Cavs. So the Cavs, because of that loss, they've dropped all the way down to the playing spot now. They've replaced... Um, the Raptors in that seventh place and the Raptors are now clear and free in sixth and they're on the bull's tail. So yeah, it's like a Raptor in the hen house there in the East. Um, Raptor in the hen house. Yeah. So the Bucks also (laughs) copped a massive loss to uh, the Grizzlies. So we've been very East centric over the last couple of weeks. So I'm going to really get behind uh, having a look at the West um, definitely the Phoenix Suns are the team to beat in the entire competition. But um, I guess the difference is, is that the West is um it's not as uh it's not as tight in the West. Um yeah it's, it's like it's not a meat grinder in the West. Like things are getting very spaced out and it's quite yeah. obvious how things are gonna fall in the end. It's gonna get very interesting towards the back end there. Like no one's coming up on the Pelicans, I don't believe. Um but We'll see. Like the top 10 of the East is pretty much made up and it's just going to be an absolute meat grinder to see who can get in where. So I was actually having a look at it just quickly and I reckon the Lakers could drop out to the Spurs if we keep playing the way we play. Yeah, well, that is an issue. Uh, but we're going to have a bit of a more Western focus next week. We'll just continue on with the East. So the Bucks they copped that loss to the Memphis Grizzlies today, which was a massive loss too. Um, just quickly looking at the results from today. They lost by 25 points to the Grizzlies, okay? And they're without Ja Morant at the moment. So yep. that's a significant win without their marquee player. Um, but as I said, that has dropped the Bucks down to fourth spot. So if the um, if results were to stand as they were today, the Bulls would be playing the Bucks in a first-round matchup. <clears throat> Not really what you want to do, is it? For everyone. Um, I mean, either the Cavs or the Nets would be playing the Heat due to the playing situation. Um, I can't see the bottom teams behind, behind us. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out. But far down where you're looking, because you've got the Nets in eighth, you've got the Hornets in ninth, 
and the Hawks and Raptors facing um, third placed Celtics. So the Celtics, they're like a big giant killer, but a lot of the Celtics fans are very, very nervous and about facing a team like the Raptors or the Bulls in the first round. And understandably so, because their record isn't terribly, terribly good against them. So it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, yeah, even one of them teams could actually do the top teams a favour if they yeah. manage to face them in the first round. And it could be a good matchup for one of them teams, depending. Because mm-hmm. Tatum is on an abs- he's on one at the moment. He's on a tear, dude. <laughs> I've seen a basketball player absolutely on one like he is. Well, I have, but like in recent memory, it's not to my... Uh, maybe Zach Levine last year at points but he had nothing else around him where Tatum's got an actual team that can play and possibly win a chip with him. So yeah, Tatum did one to watch in the East. Um, Tatum did do this a couple of years ago. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. But he's middle right now. He's different. He's taken it to another level. Mm. Gotta watch him play. Um, so yeah, like I said, the NBA is out there at the moment. So we have the 76ers in first. I know if I mentioned that before, they jumped the Heat. Heat now in mm-hmm. second, Celtics third, Bucks fourth, Bulls fifth, Raptors sixth, Cleveland in seventh, and the Nets are in eighth. So we have the play-in that's got to happen where you've got the Hornets and the Hawks there. But, yeah, so they're five games clear, I believe, of the Knicks. The Knicks young players yeah. are play well, um, but I can't see him catching them top 10 teams. It's going to be too tall of an ask. Yeah. I agree. So I suppose the big question is, in the end, with the Heat on their little slide, now down to second, um, four games in a row with the argument at all, is Heat culture Miami's vice? I don't think so. Um, I don't think it's a heat cultural thing. Um, like the GM and the coach have been there a very long time and they have a culture like that's never been an issue for them. Not that I can recall anyway. Um, has this ever happened to them before in your opinion? No, no, but they've been less reluctant to get rid of problems before. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> traded Shaq. Yeah, exactly. Look, I kind of think this is... Um, you see him trading Jimmy Buckets. I can see him trading. Yeah? He would trade. Wow. He would trade. Why wouldn't he? Cool. Okay. Like, Pat Riley is Pat Riley, man. Like, you don't mess with the man. Um, and you know me, I do love myself and Pat Riley. But, um, look, I don't know. I just half think this... Um, Get back to what you're saying. I think this kind of follows Jimmy Butler around a little bit. Um, it's not the first time he's been at a ball club and fallen over people. And I thought coming to Miami where the culture was good, he wouldn't end up in this situation again where he's arguing with the support staff and coaches and players. But um, I don't know. It, it's happened again. So you tell me, is it a heat thing or is it a Jimmy Bucket thing? He's an alpha. So... I think it's more of a Jimmy thing, but at the same time, like they've 
Um, he he afforded it in a sense. Spolster in the interview also had the interview where he kind of like was playing it down and saying that's more about their culture than what they were playing like on the court. That kind of argument and like blowing up with each other and like I'm like okay then I don't see that. Okay. I see that as kind of toxic. Up until that point in time, they'd lost 24 games. Had you seen it before? Uh, I don't know. Something was missing in them. Like, you can see a bit of battle fatigue throughout the year that's happening with some teams. It's happening with the Bulls. Yeah, so they were 3-10 and 10 before today. So, yeah, I'd lost all faith in them to be any kind of threat postseason. But they showed some promising signs defensively today. So it, it might just be a bit of... I don't know, you know, it's, it's a long season, man, 82 games. Like, some teams just aren't, you know. It, Phoenix is just, it's their second year of doing it. How many games did they win last year? I can't remember, but it wasn't as many as what they've won this year. I believe it's out there, so. Hmm. I don't know, man. As I said, I don't think it's necessarily a heat culture thing. Yes, it's good to be able to call each other out, but to the extent that your coach is slamming his, like, his board on the floor and pretty much going at each other the way they did that's not calling each other out man that's oh, an altercation trying to call a timeout in the middle of a timeout mm. that's how freaking like everyone was like oh my god no one could make eye contact with anyone that was so kind of like, like yeah what do we do but, As I said, that's not a discussion that's a proper altercation that well, yeah. where guys yeah it, it's not a discussion anymore um toxic man it is. It's bowled over. But as I said, it's not the first time it's happened when Jimmy Butler's involved in it. Yeah. But like I said, too, Spolstra, like, defended that and said that is heat culture. He, he, he preferred that to the, the lack of defensive energy and effort they were showing on the court at the time. Mm. But, okay, that being said, though, that's exactly what you expect your coach to come out and say, isn't it? Is that more of a defensive statement, you reckon, than it is an actual... Yeah, you're not going to come out. You're not going to come out and rip your players apart at that point in time, are you? I don't know. I don't know. You're not going to try. You're not going to rock the boat. Not at this point in the season where you've only got a handful of games left until the postseason. And then it's knockout basketball at that point in time. You're not going to rock the boat. Yeah. Most are. Uh, maybe. Maybe. I just well, think, think about it. Seems the like way I The way that these losses are compounded in the last two days following. Yeah, I know. But the way I see it, bro, is if this had been three, four games into the season, I think his reaction response may have been slightly different. Um, you can afford to call out your players at that point in time. A, you still got the trade market going. You know that after all-star period, you got another trade market going. You can fix things. At this point in the season, it's too late. He can't move. He's stuck with his team as it's constructed. Um if you're a part of that heat organization, if things aren't right, you're not going to play well, and they're not playing well. Yeah, not at all at the moment. Um, they are um, starting well, but this is the thing. They're just not finishing well. And this is what was happening with the Bulls. They're losing in fourth quarters, which is odd because the Bulls have been consistently renowned for winning the fourth quarter struggle all year long and being clutch as. So um, it could be teams working them out. It could be just lack of energy and enthusiasm, motivation to um, finish off the season. Just waiting for the playoffs to get here. I'm not too sure. Um, but I think there's, yeah, yeah, in my mind, I, I don't know. 
this heat culture's got to be like as tough and rough and like accountable as they're supposed to be. There's always got to be, I don't know, is Butler the right player for that atmosphere and environment? Because he, he seems to have been so far, but he's always seemed like he's just on the verge, just like, you know how the face is, he feels just like, like, yeah, like, yeah. That kind of like, I get it, but that doesn't actually apply to me stuff, but it does. In that it does. If you are the main player and the star player on the team, it counts double for you. You have to set the standard. You have to set. You you set the work ethic with his renowned. You know he's renowned for his ridiculous work ethic with his, you know, um, workouts four o'clock in the morning workouts in the gym and things like that. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, the guy's got. Yeah, he works. He's like, but yeah, like we said, Jimmy do it for Jimmy. He's do it for a team. He seems like he's a team man, but he holds like that really really high accountable thing. This is like this whole. Is Jimmy Butler just the modern-day version of what Michael Jordan would have been in the locker room? Michael won. True. But because that's that's players similar to Jimmy Butler was um, permissible and kind of like a cultural norm at the time, where now, because of the way these young players have brought like, what he did to the players up at the Timberwolves was hilarious, dude. That story yeah, is not, that'll go down in basketball folklore. But at the same time, man, what you need to keep in mind, though, is that when Michael reportedly was holding people accountable like this and blowing up and losing it, um, did you ever see him do it mid-game? I've never seen any footage of Michael doing it mid-game. No. I've never seen arguments with his coaching staff there and then. Yes, he used to play... He'd quietly say Maybe. to his players and then he'd get in the locker room and give him a freaking grilling. But yeah. Yeah. Never on the court. But um, him and Phil, Phil Jackson did have their disagreements on court. Nothing to that extent ever, ever. But they yeah, did have that's, their disagreements. That's calling each other out. Yeah. Like, that's that's calling each other out and holding each other accountable. Not losing your rag during a game. I've never seen it. I've, yeah. Struggles to see. I don't even know when I've seen this before. It's full on. Um, yeah. But look, at the end of the day, when Michael was doing it, he was undoubtedly the best player in the world. Of course. And if the best player in the world is calling you out and calling out your work ethic and calling out your defensive plays when he was one of the top defenders in the game as well, it's a bit easier to take. Jimmy is a great player, but he's not the best player in the world. No. He hasn't dragged him to championships. The level of Michael Jordan had no, he hasn't dragged them to championships. He hasn't dragged them to the promised land. If they had beat the Lakers, I'd probably be more understandable then. Where, um, in my mind, I would have thought Udonis Haslam would be the one to be doing this as a three-time champ. He knows what it takes to win a championship. That's how I see it. You got that old pro in there. They need to lean on him. He blew up in defense of his coach too. So, so to me, that's a bit that tells you that it's not a cultural thing. It's an issue. Yeah. Don't know. So, just wrapping that up. So the Nets they are sitting in eighth. So they will be playing the Cavs 
for that seventh position at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Hornets and Hawks are fairly clear of the Knicks at the moment. We have the Bulls playing the Bucks. Uh, the Raptors would be playing the Celtics. And the Heat would obviously be playing whoever finishes seventh. And 76ers, whoever would be finishing eighth. That gives us some tasty matchups. I'd love to see the Nets and the 76ers play each other in the first round. Um, oh, that would be deliciousness, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? It'd just be perfect. It'd be absolutely Mate. perfect. It'd be nice to see it as the Eastern Conference final, but if my team's in there, yeah, I prefer to see where, who it then plays someone. But yeah, like I Mate. said, I, I hold no real hope. I just, at this point, I just want to get there and I'd be extremely excited if we could make it to the second round. I don't see you guys beating the box if it stays like this. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to see how Patrick Williams works with Nikola Vucevic because they showed some very, very promising signs where they dominated the boards offensively and defensively for an entire patch of the second quarter and were able to stretch out a 19-point lead at one point. So, yeah, um, as Williams keeps improving, I thought he had more boards than he did, but I only saw, I must have watched every single one that he got. He only had four rebounds in the end, but... Um, yeah, there was. They were very decisive. They were very timely. He got in there and supported Vucevic, who was also had plenty of rebounds as well. And um, AC's hitting some form. He flirted with a, a triple double today. So, yeah, bit of Bulls watch there. Sorry guys, you know how I am with my Chicago Bulls. Um, sorry, no good news for the Lakers fans. We won't on that anyway so yeah that's NBA talk for the week okay and that brings us to the NRL breakdown so we had round three just play out over the weekend and we had some very interesting games some brain snaps or just the one big one and some well, maybe a couple if you include the terrible refereeing that occurred in the Tigers game and a few other games throughout the round Okay, so it starts us off on Thursday night. We had the Sharks taking on the Dragons in the local derby. Um, following some slick backline movement, um, a lot of slick backline movement throughout the entire game, the Sharks found themselves in a commanding 18-0 lead at halftime. Uh, following the break, the Dragons hit back through Jack Bird and looked like they were going to be in the game at that point. But fairly, fairly quickly, um, the Sharks in very, very quick succession, put on three tries, and they just blew out the lead to 36-6. to So the Dragons, in the end, did pick up a consolation try late um, when the Sharks were reduced down to 12 men for the last 10 minutes of the game. So that balanced the score out to 36-12. to So the Sharks have a really strong defensive structure and a really dynamic um, attacking back line. Yeah, for me, they're the sleeper team of this season. Um, I think they can threaten the top four teams. And, yeah, I would not be surprised if they're going to be riding the mix of things at the end of the year. I know it's early, early signs, but the defensive patterns that they're showing and the discipline they're showing early seems like something that's going to be beneficial throughout the entire year. Okay, that brings us to Friday night. As you all know, I'm a long-suffering Tigers fan. And, um, yeah, we started off with some positive, positive signs. It was really good line speed and the defensive sets... Um, Set a really good tone early. They were really strong. The Tigers did get out to a lead, a 6-0 lead through James Tarmow, 
uh, where he crossed next to the post or under the post, I believe. Um, doesn't really matter, but the Tigers, yeah, off the back of some really, really strong carries by the forwards. So some positive signs there early. Uh, the Warriors fought back uh, with a strong set, and they end up scoring a try um, off a contested bomb. And they live it up for Ewan Aiken. Uh, shout out to Rob Bashara from the West Life podcast, who did sh- say that last week on the pod, that Ewan Aiken is pretty much a guarantee for a try bet against the Tigers. Um, I thought that myself. He seems to always play the house down when he plays against the Tigers. Then we had a moment in the game that added to my conspiracy theories about the Tigers being officiated differently to other teams. Um, when Luciano Lelua uh, claimed that he'd scored a try off a kick, and the ref refused to review it. Um, so the commentary had multiple reviews, uh, replays, and they seemed to think that it was a try. I've spoken to a lot of neutrals since. They all seemed to tell me that it was a try. Uh, the idea that it wasn't reviewed seems to be diabolical <laughs> to everyone. And I've seen tries way more dubious um, being sent to the bunker and awarded. So, yeah, it just leaves a sour taste in your mouth at the end of the day. So... Obviously, the Warriors end up coming back, uh, Murphy's Law, and, and they scored another try again off a contested kick. End up being um, a mistake by Dane Laurie in his contest for it, which really uh, left it open to the Warriors to capitalise upon, and they went out to a uh, 12-6 lead. And then through a penalty following a couple of sets later, um, they decided to push the lead out to eight points, and they're up 14-6. Okay, and just prior to the halftime break, Tigers started to wrestle back some momentum and they looked pretty good. And with an offload from Dame Laurie following a bomb, um, I believe it was Musgrove that went across to score right under the post. And it obviously following the conversion, the Tigers were 14-12. So the second half, what can I say? Um, listen, there was great defence. This is the one thing I can take away from the Tigers. It was noted by Phil Gould the other day on Twitter that the Tigers only had two tries scored against them and they were a fifth pack of kicks. There were bombs that were issues that we don't normally have. So, um, yeah, it's going to be... That's a positive sign moving forward. That was the only real positive sign, though. Um, So the last 15 minutes, both teams made some of the most amateur mistakes, which compounded the fatigue, which ended up compounding the mistakes even further. Dane Laurie had one of the worst halves of football I think I've ever seen. And I think he'll ever have in his entire life. Um, he bombed a try that would have been the game winner, would have sealed it. He knocked on several times in crucial points during attacking moves as we were trying to build pressure on the line. So I'm sure he's going to take a lot away from that game. And um, he can only get better from there. That was rock bottom for Dane. He's not going to get any worse than that. Yeah, so what had been a decent game throughout most of it descended into essentially a shit show, and it was very heavily ridiculed. Both teams, it seemed, were trying to lose the game and not win it at one point. The errors were compounding that badly, and they were just allowing the other team to get back into the contest too easily. Yeah, what can I say? Stop breaking my heart, Tigers, please. Okay, that takes us to the Roosters and Bunnies game. So... We have a bit of history there, obviously. Book of Feuds playing out once again. Um, the game last year, last game, last time they played together was obviously the Latrell game where the incident with Joey Manu happened. 
Uh, Joey Manu's ball slam <laughs> following that try to Mick Luttrell from the last game was mint. Yeah, it was very good. But in the end, it was Luttrell and Cam Murray absolutely dominating and having a last laugh against the Roosters. Um, but it was really the uncharacteristic mistakes from Teddy that gave the Bunnies that leg up and way too much of a leg up too early. And it was something that, you know, when teams of that calibre are playing each other, you can't give an inch. Uh, the others will take a mile. And to give as much as they did so early, it was going to be very, very hard for them to recover. So, yeah, I finished them three games, um, one and two. And the weekend just got worse for me um, <coughs> when it comes to my tipping. So Saturday footy brings us to, we have the Penrith Panthers versus Newcastle. Uh, Penrith were pretty dismal in defence. They are missing a lot of their first grade squad, so it can be understandable. Um, we'll get Chappie's thoughts on it in a moment. But, yeah, they, considering that, and considering how red hot Newcastle have been lately, um, you are going to be in for a really, really good game. But, the entire thing was overshadowed by a send-off by the send-off of Mitch Barnett. Um, what can only be described as a complete brain snap and just lack of logic. Barnett hit um, a player off the ball. I'm not sure who the player was, um, and he smacked him. It's as if he tried to bounce him off of his forearm, and he's got the guy in the throat and the chin with his elbow or more towards the end of his forearm, just made a lot of contact at that point there. Um, it was very, very ordinary. Very, very ordinary indeed. The referee didn't hesitate from sending him from the field, and he will probably get a long stint on the sideline for it. And yeah, they're trying to rub this kind of stuff out of the game. The only real penalty they can give at this point is a six to eight week suspension. It's the only way to make that message stick, I believe. And yeah, it's unfortunate for Mitch, but, you know, in the end, you've got to be disciplined to play the game. So Penrith took full advantage of the um, 12 men, and they shot out to a commanding lead. Um, yeah, the game was kind of made interesting a little bit late by Newcastle, but Panthers got the win in the end. They finished very, very strong um, to finish out the game 38-20. to 20. What I was going to say to you about the Panthers is offensively, they look fine. Defensively, I don't think they look great. Like the Knights' right edge with Gagai, that right edge worries me. Um, like you can suck offensively if you don't have your main players playing. 100% I get it. But giving up 20 points to a team that played 50 minutes with a player down. Yeah, it's a concern for me. Like that is worrying. Like the holes that were appearing, overlaps when you're playing with an extra player should not happen. No, not at all. That's mm. just strange. Bro. That really does worry me about him. Um, but you can only beat what's in front of you, um, and they won. So what more can you do? Okay. So that takes us to the Storm and the Eels. So this was an arm wrestling day. This was a back and forth contest. Um, Brandon Smith made his comeback very, very early, and he had a huge impact on the game. 
as the Storm were without both Wishart and Grant due to COVID. So they've lost their first string in Grant and also their backup in Wishart, who's been coming off the bench, I believe, as well. So, yeah. Um, and Smith making that early comeback from a broken hand was pretty amazing. And he had a phenomenal game as well. He was very, very impactful. He um, made some huge line breaks early and set up a try. Um, so, yeah. That was... A ridiculously good game to watch. Very high impact, very back and forth. Um, but the man of the hour, Ray Stone, was the absolute hero for Parramatta. Um, in the end, he scored the, the try that um, the last two tries for Parramatta. So he scored the try that put them in front. Then Melbourne scored, obviously, and leveled up. And then he also obviously scored the um, the match winner in Golden Point. So. Yeah, we just had news, unfortunately, uh, come through that he has um, sustained an ACL injury. So the, the knee he stepped off, um, it seems like he's done his ACL then, and he's limped his way across the line to score the try, which is an amazing effort. Um, yeah, what can I say about the bloke? I feel, really feel sorry for him, but yeah, he, he will really be remembered for this game. Um, Apparently, I think he's believed he's signed somewhere else next year. So, yeah, he won't be playing for the rest of the season. That has ruled him out. So, that's unfortunate. Um, Ray Stone, fantastic win for the Parramatta Eels. Okay, so the Raiders and the Titans. Um, Titans, they got to have a massive lead very, very early. They... Um, yeah, they took control, complete, complete control of the game. But, you know, NRL is an 80-minute game. And the Raiders, well, Ricky's troops, they really rallied around you know, Ricky's message at halftime and they dug in. So, like I said, they looked very, very ordinary and they found themselves down 22-4 to at halftime. Um, it was a very late try. They would have been 22-0, like basically on the buzzer. Uh, the Raiders fought back the entire second half and they crossed the line... So with 33 minutes left, with 29 minutes left, with 19 minutes left, and again with 5 minutes left. So there was a few misconversions in there. And then, um, yeah, they end up scoring the try, and I believe they have to convert the try to win the game. So it was 24-22 in the end uh, for the win. Yeah, so pretty intense game, actually. I was surprised the Titans dropped off so much as they did after having such a commanding start to the game. Okay, and that brings us to Sunday football. So, um, yeah, this is one of the more interesting couple of games. So, we had the North Queensland Cowboys and the Brisbane Broncos playing. Shout out to Croaks, who went up to the game. Uh, good mate of mine, massive Broncos fan. Uh, so the Cowboys started strong, and they went up early with a try to Nanai, and the Broncos controversially hit back uh, through a penalty try to Herbie Farnsworth. Uh, but just before the break, I believe it was Neem, he crossed to push the lead out at half-time to 14-6. And then the second half happened. I have not seen such a dominant display by a football team in a long, long time. The Cowboys barely let... Um, I barely saw the Broncos in possession of the ball in the entire second half. There was a lot of errors. So, 
Cowboys got really, really good field position early uh, in the second half after Adam Reynolds on a 40-20 attempt. Gave a little bit too much hot sauce and he kicked it out on the full. And then uh, only by a couple of centimetres. And then I believe there was a play following that. Um, the Cowboys actually got the line dropout and then Adam Reynolds kicked that out on the full. So that gave him the penalty right in front. And then the Cowboys crossed through Valentine Holmes. So they went up 20 to 6 at that point. Um, there was a huge bomb chase, I think, a play later or a play or two later. Nanoi came down, uh, put the Cowboys up 26-4. to four. That was with 19 minutes to go. Um, and it seemed like a minute or so later, Nanoi secured a, a cross-field kick, got his hat-trick. So Nanoi went off. He was an absolute weapon um, on the weekend for the Cowboys. Uh, there's talk that the, the Tigers are interested in signing him to replace... Luciano Lelua, who will be going to the Cowboys next year. So even an early release, we'll take him now. Um, but Luci's playing the house down for us. So, yeah, it'd be sad to see him go. But with a kid like that, um, I think it's fair trade. Uh, yeah, so back to the game. It was 32-6 to six at that point. And then the Broncos are being... They were just being blown off the park at that point. Um, yeah. I believe there was a consolation try and there was another try to the Cowboys as well. So it ended up being 38-12, to 12, the final scoreline. It was a commanding performance in the second half by the Cowboys. Um, they just out-enthused the Broncos off the field and they can just control every aspect of the game. It was, yeah, really interesting watch. It's going to be interesting to see if they can play with that consistency moving forward. Okay, it brought us to the last game of the round. Played in torrential weather. So, Manly, the Sea Eagles, took on the Bulldogs at Brookvale. Um, and it was a bludger. The weather was an absolute bludgest. Okay, so the Bulldogs struck early after two errors by the Sea Eagles. And they went up 4-0. Um, the game was a real arm wrestle early. Like, very, very early. And the Bulldogs broke through again. And they got out to an 8 nil lead. So, this was a really uncharacteristic game. They were not tipped to be in this position at all. Um, everyone had Manly finally waking up and blowing them off the park, returning to Brookvale. But it was not the case. But the Manly of 2001 did show up in the end in glimpses. Um, they scored through Turbo in this uh, really good backline movement. And, yeah, it started to look reminiscent of last year at some point. So... Garrett converted that, and then they went to 6-8, to eight, uh, Bulldogs way still. A penalty goal to Canterbury put them out to a um, four-point lead, so it was 6-10. Um, yeah, like I said, Manly at one point had 10 errors by the first half, the back end of the first half. They were just piggy piggybacking the dogs down the field, and the weather was not helping them at all. Um, no. But it was like a massive error from Burton, I think. It gave Manly a penalty. And, um, yeah, so... It gave them a chance to actually hit back. And uh, Ruben Garrick went in on the sideline from a Daly Cherry Evans kick, and then he converted his own sideline in the torrential rain. So, own kick from, um, he converted his own try from the sideline in the torrential rain, which is pretty impressive in itself. Quality, eh? Mate. And then it was just a wall. Uh, the doggies end up getting the square up penalty. I believe, but it was very, very late in the half after everyone had their opportunities to like score tries back and forth on each other. 
and it was yeah. 12 each, um, 12 points each. Turbo was 143 run meters in one try. I think he ended up pushing up closer to about 180 by the end of the game. Um, yeah. The Bulldogs seem to be really, really good at dragging teams, every team they've played this year, like, into that grind. You know what I mean? Like, just making yeah. it really, really difficult to form any continuity. Just, I don't know. There's some... It's a very old-school kind of doggies style of play. Like, I'm talking... 80s, 90s stuff. It's been around for years with them. It's quite interesting that they've brought it back. Um, yeah. And then there was a missed field goal by Dale Chair Evans, a massive big charge down. And then he kicked the most disgusting, low, sloppy field goal I've ever seen in my life. He just um, punched it, didn't he? It was, he punched it. He just punched it. It was sickening. It was disgusting. So, yeah, they managed to get across the line. They, um, well, I was a bit disappointed that the I was just going to say I was a bit disappointed with the Bulldogs attempt at a field goal themselves. They were trying to go for the two pointer, and um, it was just that far out. I, I, it made no sense. Just go for the draw, um, get closer where you're comfortable, and try to spot it from there. Yeah, you can tell teams that want to win a game know how to win a game and know how to lose a game. Yeah. Okay, so, big day on Sunday. We had the boxing match I've been waiting for for a long time. It was Tim Zhu's big debut over in America, where he took on Terrell Goucher. Uh, Terrell Goucher is ranked number 10 in the world. So, this was, um, yeah, a good opportunity for Tim Zhu to come out and show his wares to the American crowd. And it did not start so great for Tim. He was... Um, He was hit in the first round and dropped with a flash knockdown. Um, and yeah, it stunned him. And it stunned me as well. And it stunned a lot of people watching. Um, but, you know, he recovered from that pretty quickly. And he got up and he, you could say, comfortably dominated the rest of the round. Started applying that pressure that he is so renowned for. And then for the following 11 rounds, that's exactly what he did. He dominated every other moment of that fight. He built pressure. Um, Goucher had his moments where he threw some interesting shots and landed, but the commentators were marveled by um, Zoo's repertoire, the angles he used, um, the pace that he was setting, and that continual rhythm that he was building on his opposition and just basically taking them out of the fight, just draining and sapping their energy with continual body blow after body blow. And he was landing some nice uppercuts. Um, yeah, it was a very, very good performance in the end. So on the scorecard, it was unanimous to Tim Zhu, 114 to 113. That judge needs to be sanctioned for that crap. 116 to 111 and 115 to 112. Yeah, so like I said, uh, it was a commanding performance. Um, them scorecards don't really reflect how dominant Tim Zhu was throughout the entire fight. Um, Zhu now moves to 21-0. and 0. Uh, Goucher's ranking, like I mentioned earlier, was 10th in the world. So I think Zhu moves up possibly into that place or close to that. Um, he just sets an, an exhausting pace on his opponents, and especially as he builds to the championship rounds. 
Um, it was noted that somewhere in the 10th round that over a 1,000 punches had been thrown throughout the fight, with probably about 70% of them being thrown by Tim Zhu. Um, at the end of the fight, significant body shots, 93 to 29 in favour of Tim Zhu. So that just shows the kind of pace he was putting, and um, not just pace, but also like the impact that he was landing as well on his opponent. So... Yeah, despite the flash knockdown, it was a great fight from Tim, and we can't wait to see who he's taking on next. Go, Tim. Okay, so that brings us to an end of Bounce of the Ball for this week. Please follow the show on Spotify and Podbean. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel and like our videos. You can send us an email at thebounceoftheball.com gmail.com and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Peace. And who won why do you keep picking the Tigers, man? I don't get it. Dude, they nearly won that game. Did you say did you just say they, they will eventually win a game? I said they nearly won that game the other day. Mate. You guys are not a good team at all. To be you did get fucked over with that try that was uh, not even reviewed. But, um... Don't even... Tell me what? that we're not officiated differently. You're not. It was Leilor. You never got there.